Okay, so welcome to a new episode of Legends and Leaders. Um, it's great to have Duncan here, who's just created so many amazing characters and been a part of the Ben 10 series and Generator Rex, created uh, this, the Spider-Man, uh, one of the Spider-Man TV shows, Ultimate Spider-Man, Avengers Assemble, so many wonderful projects that you brought out um, to the world. It's, uh, it's incredible to have you here, Duncan. Thanks for coming. Well, thanks for having me, Ben. Awesome. My pleasure. So, I'd love to just start um, with a bit of like your, just a bit of your past. So when you were a kid, Duncan, growing up, were you always into comic books and drawing? Like, how did this passion start? Oh, definitely. Um, grew up in a big house. Uh, what I mean by that is that I had three older brothers um, and one bathroom. So uh, it was a <laughs> crowded, it was a very crowded house. And so I spent a lot of time in my own head. Yeah, I think... Uh, you know, it was a way of uh, kind of isolating myself a little bit when needed. Uh, and so I think I, I discovered comics on a family car trip somewhere and fell in love with them. My mom was an art teacher, a uh, grammar school art teacher. My dad was a graphic artist. He uh, worked in uh, advertising. So I definitely grew up around art. So I started drawing comics uh, at an early age, um, just kind of copying the stuff that I, I love looking at. And um, <laughs> all my brothers went and became lawyers and engineers. Uh, so they, uh, <laughs> they realized there was very little money in, in art. Uh, but I was the youngest. And uh, so, um, yes, I fell in love with comics uh, when I was around 17. I kind of stopped for a while. I, I went huh. into other pursuits for a while. Um, not too far away from art, but I think I, I stopped, um, I, I didn't go to school for art per se. I went to school actually for film and TV and acting. And, um, hmm. then I moved out to, uh, California to, uh, become a big movie star, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh and quickly realized just how big and huge, uh, and how many other people. We're doing the exact same thing. Um, so instead of doing the waiter thing, um, I started working in film production, um, doing everything behind the camera, um, every aspect of it, including storyboards. I started doing storyboards with different directors uh, because I could draw. And it was something that um, even when I went to school and college, I took art courses. I just didn't major in it. Um, but I, I started doing storyboards uh, for some pretty big movies, too. I, I actually started having quite a film career there as a storyboard artist. Um, and then while I was working on a film, a very famous comic book artist who I knew when I was younger was doing the creature design for the uh, it was a science fiction movie. He was doing okay. the creature design for it. And um, he saw my storyboards and said, have you ever considered doing some comic book work? Because he had a studio himself. And I knew who he was. I was a huge fan of his. Uh, this was Neil Adams, if you uh, know who that is. He's a, he had a studio. He just recently passed away, but he was a very influential artist in the uh, late 60s, throughout the 70s. He was kind of considered um, the new wave. They were like the older guys who kind of started Marvel and, and also, uh, to a degree, 
kind of revamped DC. And he came in as kind of the second tier of the next wave. And he was most definitely at the spearhead of, of a new style. And it was a much more graphic style and it uh, was very fresh and most definitely caught my attention when I was a kid. So when he asked me, I, you know, I was very thrilled by it, but I hadn't considered doing that. But when I started thinking about instead of doing the waiter thing or doing any of the other kind of very work intensive kind of stuff, um, the idea of drawing comic books and then being able to go out and pursue other things on my own schedule became uh, very attractive. So I started doing that. And then little did I know that uh, if you're going to do full-time comics, it's a full-time job itself too. So uh, I started doing full-time comics. I worked for Marvel and DC. I drew uh, comics for both of them, uh, the X-Men, Superman. And during that time, I met uh, Joe Kelly, Steve Siegel, and Joe Casey, who were all writers uh, at the time. And we all enjoyed working with each other. We were working on most of the flagship books for Marvel at one point, and most of the flagship books for DC later on. And kind of looking at the image model, the guys who who went and created image comics, we were uh, great admirers of that. We decided we would kind of uh, form our own collective and we created a man of action. While working for Marvel, Steve and I also created the uh, characters Big Hero 6 for the, for the, uh, the title, the Big Hero Six, which later was bought by Marvel, was bought by Disney, and then uh, Disney Animation turned into the show. So that was something that we created very early on, having no idea that it would become what it became later. Um, but then, when we formed Man of Action, one of the very first things out of the box was Ben Ten. Um, ben had come about when we were working on the X Men. One of the big uh, fun things. And also in the 90s, the X-Men were it. That was it. Everybody loved the X-Men. That was the number one selling books, period. Um, really, the MCU and everything with Iron Man and Captain America, those were comics that I liked as a kid, but they were not the titles that were selling in the 90s. Those were uh, very antiquated, old titles by that point. It's very funny that they got revamped. So we were working on the X-Men. And one of the big things I'm working on the X-Men was I was trying to come up with new mutants people who had unusual powers and i had jokingly said we should come up or we should probably bring in this character i had come up with at the time called entourage which was a, a character that could change places with themselves from a multiverse um and we kind of took that idea and then it slowly extrapolated itself into ben um uh, ben 10 later on aliens uh, and using the omnitrix but we always loved the notion that ben uh remained a kid that was very important to us uh and that also that the show had a multi-generational quality to it that there was a grandfather in it because so much of that stuff at that time and actually for a while before that it was always just the super smart kid outwitting all the adults and here we just had a kid who had powers and then maybe had to look to uh his family and friends and peers uh and how best to use these uh, these gifts that he had gotten. And we liked that dynamic, which was something actually that heralded back to an earlier comic book kind of format. Um, things like uh, actually uh, Shazam, Captain Marvel, things like that. Um, 
So then Ben 10, and then Ben 10 became Ben 10, which was its own creature and had no idea that it would become what it became. And that was wonderful, obviously. And so that being our very first project out of the, uh, out of the gate, you know, um, we, we started getting a lot of different work. So we worked on a lot of different shows uh, over the, over a period of time. So my storyboard uh, background, my, my film and production, and also the other guys all had similar kind of, um, when you want to, when you want to work in the arts, uh, I, I don't think it's very much, it's not the same as, um, if you're going to become an engineer, you have to have a very strong discipline in mechanical engineering or, or in um, aerodynamics or something like that. And it's a very specific skill set that you have to have. When you want to kind of create and create art, you pull it from a lot of different sources. So each one of us had just as varied backgrounds um, that would. Um, yeah, I guess in the creative field, but ultimately a lot of different types of discipline. And mm. so um, mine being kind of an art background, uh, the storytelling background, and then production. Uh, that's how it helped me, at least, as we started navigating a lot of the film and TV, some of the credits you mentioned. Um, mm. Other things, uh, uh, we, all the, the whole time we've been working and creating our own comic books at that time and then trying to set them up as their own shows uh, uh, after that and with varying successes uh, and Generator Rex being another one that was based on a book that Joe Kelly and I had created called uh, Mocking Rex or M-Rex. Um, so. So, uh, so like in terms of the idea for, for Ben 10, like, so you had some, you were working on X-Men kind of took, kind of took like a, a similar concept. You were thinking there, applied it here. Um, how did you come up with the whole like the world that they're in? Like, there's so many other characters. Kevin, mm-hmm. there's Gwen. Like, wh- where did that all come from? And then, um, how did you guys really kickstart it and get it out there and, and get the traction for it? Was it this cart, the Cartoon Network show that really helped make it big? Oh, absolutely. It was the a- absolutely. And with anything, uh, when a when something big like that show happens, there's a lot of different people who come in and help contribute to it. So, um, and everybody that we worked with, maybe this was where it, the best answer to your question is that we had, we came from a sensibility of uh, a character like Spider-Man who had 60 years of history. There was different Mm -hmm. times that you could pull from, but what you did understand is that, there was a rich, deep world that they needed to exist yeah. in. And that from week to week, things, different things you could pull from, from different time periods and kind of pick, uh, cherry pick the best stuff. So um, world building, which is an, an essential part of what we do, you come up with a great character, but if there's not a great world for that character to uh, uh, you know, live in, it's a great concept, but it will only run for so long. It only has so much legs. Um, so one of the big things, obviously, with a with a character who can, uh, and this was one of the initial ideas for that is specifically Ben, was the idea of walking in somebody else's shoes for a little while. That's why um, Asmuth created the Omnitrix and the original, um, and the original conceit of it. So. Walking in somebody else's shoes, but putting that in a galactic background, that just yeah. opened up our, it opened up the canvas and gave us an awful lot of things to pull from. So 
it, you know, each one of us had ideas and lots of ideas for aliens and things like that. But we worked with a great, a great crew of people, uh, including people like uh, Dwayne McDuffie and Glenn Murakami. And they, they come from the same type of uh, background. So uh, they were also pulling in uh, concepts and ideas. So once you have an idea that has some legs on it and that you, uh, and what I mean by legs, I mean that there's a lot of possibilities. You don't just tell one story. You've got a lot of different stories. Then you have to create a cast around that character who's going to challenge him in a lot of ways. Um, Kevin is going to be a rival. So he's going to do stupid things when he's with Kevin. Um, uh, in a lot of ways, Gwen's a rival, but also uh, a loving rival, somebody you care for. So you might not do, they might learn lessons together. And she might be, a, she's actually a little, she's actually a lot more intelligent than Ben is, I think, ultimately. Ben is uh, more, uh, let's say, uh, emotional, and that she was probably a little more intellectual about her approach on things. So, you know, you could have those kind of dynamics. So you could tell stories about that. You know, each one of us, at different times, we've done things that we regret because it was an emotional uh, decision. And then sometimes uh, the logical one can be too conservative and you need that emotional one to push you into a, you know, into a solution or get you in the right mindset to uh, solve an issue. So stories like that. And then grandpa was always a great mitigating force. And I think the thing that we liked the most about uh, grandpa Max was his own hidden story. You, uh, you know a character, you you oh, you think you know this individual, and then when you get to know them, you realize that they have a deep past themselves and one that could be just as exciting. So then we had a whole historical aspect to it with the plumbers and everything that came into that. So it gave us a, you know, with just that initial cast, it gave us a lot of options for different types of stories. So we weren't just telling the same story again and again. Um, and when you have that kind of diversity of uh, different avenues with a character, you can, um, you know, you can tell a lot of different stories. So then it's just unleash your imagination and let it run. Uh, and then obviously a big fun thing is coming up with all the aliens. So. Yeah. But why did you guys decide to do it as like a watch? Like why was it the watch with, was the, the device? We had, believe me, we had a lot of, different types of things but ultimately um and there was a lot of reasons there's prop prop reasons like at one point it was going to be a 10-sided die uh that he would mm. roll and it would have uh stuff at one point it was more kind of like a wand kind of thing that if you did it in different settings and things like that and we had all of these different devices we knew that we wanted a physical prop and then this was also our ask from Cartoon Network specifically, you know, when they started thinking about merchandising, they wanted to have stuff. Um, so that was one of the ideas. But I think I was maybe Joe Casey or Steve Siegel or somebody said, you know, uh, and then when they do that, it's hero time. And then there's like hero time. Oh, well, a watch. That would be great. You know, the uh, obviously became the watch, the watch shape. Um, and what that what that did Unlike a 10-sided die, you only have 10 sides on that. So, you know, you could only go uh, to 10 different things. With this and then the idea of Azmuth, uh, it just clicked. It became a very, it became the right idea. <laughs> um, it's kind of like, 
Ben gets compared every once in a while, and I guess I can see why in some ways to um, the Green Lantern in the sense that the Green Lantern can think of things and then it, and use right. it, and it's with the ring. So I'm not quite sure. I completely get the one, you know, the, the, the comparison there to me. It was always a little more closer to like a Shazam or there's a character called Dial H for Hero, which was uh, something that, but those weren't really, those weren't really the, uh, I mean, Shazam was probably the closest comp out of that. But um, so he had a, a saying and his thing was that he had all of these different powers from all these different uh, Greek gods, like uh, the, the, you know, fastest Hermes, the smartest Solomon kind of thing. And we love the idea of a character that could pull from a lot of different places. It wasn't just one thing, much like a kid, you know, you're constantly learning. So you're pulling from a lot of places. So the watch just became a perfect device for all of those kind of theories and concepts. And why name, why name the character Ben? Like, was, was there any reason? Uh, just, yeah. You know, we actually, it, it was Ben for a lot. I don't, you know, the initial name was, and, and 10, it actually started off as the, um, the title was Force 10, we were calling it. Um, and we just went with 10, 10 being a, just a good round number. And then Force 10 was just, you know, it was a little too macho. It was a little too tough. And also it didn't, uh, didn't capture all of the other things about the family unit and all of those kind of things that we wanted to have. So 10 stayed. So then the rhyming couplet of Ben 10 kind of came uh, came out of that, actually. And uh, I do remember me pushing for it to be Ben to the 10th power because we wanted mm -hmm. to go with more than 10 uh, possibilities. Uh, and that means nothing, right? Ben to the 10th power, what does that mean? Yeah. It was just, a, <laughs> I thought it was a cool visual to have a little Ben and then a little 10th power up in the corner there. Uh, but it got vetoed. It was a little too heady, I think, for people. Um, yeah. And also the whole multiverse thing, which now, look at us, we're in the world of multiverses all over the place, uh, mm -hmm. was a little too much. So uh, uh, Cartoon Network had floated superheroes to us, and that was way too close to this this character called Dial H for Heroes. Like, well, no, it's just Dial H for Hero. We're not going to do that. And so then we came across Aliens as a... Uh, and also, once again, it fit the idea of walking in somebody else's shoes for a little while. So, Do you think there's going to be, like, when we were in the age of superhero movies right now, there's just tons of them. Do you think there'll be, like, another, like, Ben 10 superhero movie that comes out, like, in theaters? Is that something that you would well, like sure. to see happen? Listen, we're, well, I mean, um, we get asked this question a lot, and where is the next iteration for Ben and things like that? And I can't speak to any of them specifically at any time. All I can say is that there's been a lot of different discussions about a lot of different types of uh, approaches. Um, sure. Some really radically wild uh, uh, <laughs> ideas, approaches and things like that. But what's happening right now with where Cartoon Network is and all of the different kind of streamers and the fact that Ben isn't even actually showing on Cartoon Network, but on HBO or Netflix now, and these were sister companies at one point. Now it's now it, the whole thing is up for grabs as, as the dust settles and there's a little more kind of even heel for where and how stuff is going to come out. 
I do think then, because man of action, we can develop stuff and we can say, hey, we'd like to do this, but that only takes you up to the door. You know, there's decision makers and ultimately Cartoon Network or the sister companies or the father companies now, Cartoon Network, own the rights to it. So um, mm -hmm. what will happen? Who knows? I do think that I'll tell you a little. I was just talking to Joe Casey about this the other day. Um, and around the turn of the century there, uh, back in the year 2000, 2001-ish, I worked over at a dot-com company called Stanley Media. I worked with Stan Lee. Uh, he was trying to get um, uh, his own kind of channel back when the internet was really still a fledgling uh, thing. Mm -hmm. um, we were starting to develop cartoons uh, based on new characters and things like that. But the most curious thing was is that ben T uh, Stan, at that point, was the editor-in-chief and the creator of Spider-Man and all those things, but they did not have the same cachet that they do now. I mean, Stan Lee is now, uh, you know, uh, considered on par and after all of his appearances in all these movies and stuff like that, as kind of a Walt Disney-like character. But back in the mm -hmm. year 2000, just to get a meeting with uh, animation companies was not necessarily an easy task. So my point being is give a little time and then all of a sudden look at where Stan is now or his memory is now and his influence is now. Um, who time will tell. Uh, so with Ben, time will tell ultimately. Right. The hope is always, obviously, that would be great. That is something that we would love to do and is something we're prepared to do. But is it in the stars at the moment? Not at, not at, the, not at the moment. Yeah. I mean, what, what Viacom did with like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was like they when they acquired it, I mean, that's when they really blew it up. So it was just kind of the right partner at the right time. And then now there's going to be another, there's going to be an animated you know, mo movie that hits theater. So, well, hopefully we'll see something there. That would, that would definitely be great. Yeah. You know, uh, and it was also, what was interesting about the Turtles is, gosh, when did that very first feature come out? Um, was that early 90s? The early 90s it came out? There was a feature that came out? It kind of been moved. Yeah, it kind of moved in the cartoon at that time. It was perfect timing. Uh, mm -hmm. It had pushed it into a certain kind of category for a while that um, everybody knew it. So a lot of a lot of the execs are very risk adverse. And like you said, the right partner, somebody who loves the characters, knows it and knows because in my mind, it's a no brainer. If, 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 mm -hmm. if this was done correctly, it would be just as big as any of the other shows that come out there. In my mind, it's really you know, when they first said that they were going to do the Iron Man movie, people were like, oh, no. I was like, that's a no-brainer. It's just an idea of a guy wearing a really cool – it's like James Bond, but with a seriously cool armor. You know, people who know nothing about comic books will buy into that. And I think that this one, the idea of a kid who uh, gets infused with alien DNA and can take on those things, it's, it's, it's something that travels well. It's an idea that travels well. So I think it's a yeah. We'll see, though. I, I think so. <laughs> what, what do you think is the future for, for Generator Rex? And like, what, are, what do you think will be the next steps for the character and, and where you want to build that brand? Well, so uh, Generator Rex is in the same um, legal uh, limbo right now that Ben is in. So uh, whatever, uh, wherever it 
Cartoon Network and the rights and all of those characters settle uh, is where where uh, Rex would settle as well. Um, the plan for us always, and this was something that we were talking with uh, at the time, Trams, Tram Wigsell, who was the executive, creative exec over at Cartoon Network, who we were working with. Um, we had always talked about trying to build out a Cartoon Network version of their own MCU with characters that were based inside of, and that were weekly cartoons that they could control and that we could start having crossovers with characters and things like that. And Ben had that cross, a very successful crossover with, uh, with Rex. Um, and we wanted to continue those kind of things. And we even tried to do that again with this last, uh, iteration of Ben was bring it, uh, bring in Rex, uh, in a different way. So, uh, Rex is another one that really love. And also we think has the ability to have legs and, when Rex first came out, it was a little darker. We, one of the things that we were asked by Cartoon Network at the time was to age it up a little, maybe uh, create a, a character that um, appealed to a slightly older demographic. And we were very excited by that. But what we found was um, in other markets, uh, different places, they thought it was a little too scary. The monster designs were a little too scary. So it was... Uh, it was a little more difficult for it to kind of have the bigger appeal that Ben had. But I wouldn't want to sacrifice any of those things. I think it's a slightly different, it's a slightly darker story um, mm -hmm. with than with Ben. So um, the, the love, the idea would always be to, I think in a lot of ways would be a fantastic live action uh, movie, a big giant budget thing where he eventually does, you know, uh, maybe become that uh, ultimate version of himself. Uh, and and uh, it was always this big storyline. And we even had it that the Agent Six, who was kind of tasked there to be his uh, bodyguard slash uh, babysitter slash uh, friend, if Ben ever got too powerful or too crazy, he was assigned to take him out. You know, and that's dark in of itself. But I, I would love to see that on live, uh, live action TV at some point. Uh, was, uh, to me, that that's good. That's good filmmaking fodder. So, but, yeah. Uh, no, no big. No, uh, in a lot of ways, Ben. Whatever happens, it'll probably be Ben first before it would be Rex. Um, but right. we're always trying to bring Rex into things too, because we do think. He's a character and his world and the, and the nanite world is something that everybody already is very, at the time, it, uh, it was actually, it's very funny. That was an initial concept that we had way early on for Iron Man. If we were going to do Iron Man with the nanites and look, they, they, they kind of brought it into the, they brought it into the comic books at, at some other point too, but you know, so it was going to happen. Uh, the idea of, of, the armor literally coming out of you. Uh, kind of idea. Yeah. But yeah. we also like the idea with Rex that he was a character that what you put into this kid is what you're going to get out. You get, if you put in caring, love, respect, you're going to, those are the, those would be the builds that he would ultimately make the, uh, things that would protect people, help people. 
if you treated them poorly, if they got knocked around and discarded and marginalized and pushed over, the, uh, the things that they would build would represent that inner life that was always about that character. And thought that that was also a very mature concept. Have you thought of creating like any new characters? Are there some that are on your horizon now? They're like, oh, okay, sure. we're going to roll. Yeah, yeah, no, no, always, always. Uh, we um, we have a deep library of stuff. Um, <laughs> at the moment, the climate uh, for uh, new stuff, as opposed to working on, uh, and this is now just ultimately, these are uh, about making, you know. Uh, getting financial partners uh, they they're much more along the lines right now about uh visiting tried and true ip things that have already had a pre-life they're a little uh, right. The, right now the market is not about a whole bunch of new stuff but yes we do so we often uh, publish those things that's always been our our first and for, foremost our primary outlet was to publish um and get that um get those things out there that way so that they have some kind of uh, life. And ultimately that was our background. That's where we started was with comic books. And you can tell the story the way without anybody else's input, you can tell the story the way that you felt like it was, it needed to be told. So it's still, that's, that's where we find uh, ourselves putting our effort into our newer titles at the moment. Because right now we're uh, working on um, Sonic uh, for Netflix, uh, the Sonic Prime right. show, and uh, and then another show that we're doing right now that I could talk about is the um, we're working with a video game company called Tiny Build. They have this really fun game called Hello Neighbor, which is kind of a you sneak into your neighbor's uh, next door. Okay. It's uh, very much kind of like a Stranger Things, or you know, it's got this kind of. Uh, your neighbor is up to something no good, and you've got to find out what it is. Kind of story, you know. Uh, you know the the uh, in the industry terms, it's also called a kids with flashlights a story. So it's kids with flashlights on bikes kind of story. Uh, but we've been working with them, and we had uh, two episodes come out on the Tiny Build site. On uh, we're releasing it on YouTube, which is really fun because hmm. we don't have anybody telling us what. Uh, we can and can't do as far as uh, content goes. And so we can get a little darker. We can be a little uh, tougher with the stories. And I think that that was something that we were also very excited about, kind of pull out our inner uh, our inner Stephen Kings and our inner uh, Alfred Hitchcocks a little bit. <laughs> tell those stories. So we are finding creative outlets for those kind of things, but they are in unusual places because right now the marketplace is so different than it was even 10 years ago so. yeah it definitely is um i mean you know i think that i mean i think this is, this is all the time we have anyway so um but I, last question i would just ask is do you um you know for the sonic prime series that you're doing now where, where do you think that this where do you think that this series is going to wind up in in terms of um you know new character development do you think you'll be able to introduce any types of like new characters into the sonic family that you think will be will be lasting in that do were you able to do stuff like that from a creative oh, perspective yeah, absolutely no that was actually um we had we had long talks with the guys over at uh, um uh, the sonic teams and um and what they were hoping to accomplish uh, Sonic had, 
had been around for 30 years and yeah. it had two or three different backgrounds. And one of them, they wanted to kind of uh, separate from Sonic Classic to Sonic Now kind of things. And they also, he had quite a uh, diaspora of um, kind of lore and legends. And, we, and they were hoping that we could help them simplify and kind of consolidate and bring. That was one goal. The other one was to reintroduce the character to a newer generation. And then the third was to um, well, make a, you know, an action hero that would uh, kind of have new legs for the, for the, yeah, you know, for the new media. And so inside of that, those were the things that they had asked for us. Um, and so one of the things of coming up with the Shatterverse was the idea of what, one of the things with their characters is a sum of them, and a lot of them, uh, are ideas. They aren't fully fleshed out characters. They don't have a whole lot of permutation. They don't have a whole lot of uh, intricacies. They don't have a lot of levels. And some of even their more major characters. We wanted to split them up and have Sonic see that there was other aspects to each one of these characters that um, were his best friends, people he thought he knew, but didn't realize that they also had these other elements inside of their personality. And that is going through the, this adventure, he's discovering that they have different shades inside of them. Um, and so these shades are kind of the characters that were, he's being introduced to in this, uh, in this first iteration. Um, but inside of that, even inside of that, I mean, listen, everybody loves shadow. Um, and he's always going to be there. That was a character that they didn't want us uh, splitting up. But taking a look at Amy, people really like um, Rusty Rose. She's become a kind of a, a we're, we we kind of hope that she would become an interesting character. This kind of uh, almost in a lot of ways, the logical side of Amy, not the emotional side. You know, there is in everybody a little logical side. So let's take a look at that character. Uh, Rusty Rose was a character. Um, there's a couple of the characters that are coming out of there. I don't, without spoiling too much, because uh, I don't know if you've seen it or, or when this airs, but uh, the second drop just came out. And we have a big twist at the end uh, with uh, <laughs> one of uh, Sonic's best friends uh, or a version of one of his best friends that uh, is a little tired of always taking Sonic's, uh, you know, being his, uh, like, He's always been his number one champion, but he's also any of his own feelings and needs have always been supplanted by Sonic's wants. So here's somebody who's going to go, wait a second, I want to assert myself a little more. And that's the character nine, which is going to be a, a, an interesting character in the next drop. Uh, suffice to say, so there's a, without spoiling it too much for people who haven't seen it yet, there's a, there's a, a twist in that. So that was one thing. Now, as far as the life of the show uh, moving forward, we are talking with uh, uh, the Sega team, our, um, our partners in the animation front over at Wild Brain, and with Netflix about the next iteration. And there's a couple of things. I don't have anything I can announce there, but there are absolute plans. And there is also now, once we've kind of secured this notion, we'll start building out and bringing in other characters and we'll be bringing in a much wider variety of characters to kind of explore in uh, some different ways. But I think one of the big things that we wanted to do with this was that a lot of the TV shows of Sonic up to this point were emphasizing the comedy, um, mm -hmm. except for like Sonic X. And, uh, and those were almost always coming more from 
the anime background where they were making him the action hero that he is also. He's kind of, he's a lot, he's, he's, he shares an awful lot with a Spider-Man type of character. Um, but I think that uh, the American treatments were kind of going more with this jokester side. They were going more with just his Bugs Bunny kind of side, you know, the kind of silly, goofy side. And that's fine. That is an aspect of that character, and it's a lovely aspect, too. But there's also this action-forward thing, and we definitely wanted to lean into the action-forward aspects of it. And so I think yeah. that that's, that's something that we'll keep, we'll keep on doing. Yeah, makes sense. Look, Duncan, I appreciate you coming on and sharing really, you know, some way about how you create some of these wonderful different um, IPs and just characters and, and shows. It's it's definitely been, you know, fascinating learning from your journey. And, uh, you know, I wish you continued success and keep creating. Oh, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Um, and we, if you guys keep watching it, we'll keep on creating. <laughs> and also go out there and create some of your own stuff, too. It's fun. Even, you know, we're living in a world now, you can put anything up on the internet. You'll find some people who will love it. So that's my advice to everybody. You, everybody's got a good story inside of them somewhere.